the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. The views and opinions expressed by Rob Black and his guests are not necessarily those of KDOW or its management owners or advertisers and should not be construed as legal tax or investment advice. Always consult with the appropriate advisor before making any investment or financial planning decision. We'll know by now that yesterday was kind of a big day. I don't know if you're a CNN and MSNBC. I don't know if you're a Bloomberg. I don't know where you get your news. But House Speaker Nancy Pelosi formally announced an official impeachment inquiry of President Trump for abuse of power. I was talking to someone about it yesterday, and um, they're like, what do you think? I'm not going to get too much into it. There's other people that are doing that right now. But the market seems unfazed. That's interesting to me. Yesterday, as the news was starting to come out, the market seemed pretty upset. But that it had a time to go home, the market did. Have a gin and tonic. Get a little shoulder rub from the spouse. The market came back today and was like, not too shabby. It's okay. We can deal with this. It's too early for the market to get itself worked up. When the headlines are heavy, but the tradable facts are uh, very light. So it may get a little bit more bumpy, but not till we get some hardcore facts. Will it get upsetting? Either positive or negative. So the focal point right now is the declassified non-redacted transcript of President Trump's call with Ukrainian President Zelensky. No special time has been given exactly on that. So, but a lot of people think it's going to be a market-moving release. And then when we actually get to see the complaint of the quote-unquote whistleblower, that can be a fairly big market mover. Huge. Now, in theory, the president's distracted. That's what. That's one of the things you have to get out of this. That he won't be able to be working on economic agenda for the United States as much. In theory. Same thing with Congress. They've got a lot of their... Um, committees focused primarily on the word impeachment and what can we do with it. Will this inquiry into Trump push President Trump to get a deal done with China on the assumption that it boosts the stock market and his political standing? You would think maybe, but maybe not. Will China refrain from striking a deal thinking that you know there will be a leadership change in 2020? Either through popular vote, electoral college. I shouldn't just say popular vote because that doesn't always work out that way. Um, but you get the idea where I go on that, that. Or do you want the... I heard one pundit yesterday say something that's pretty smart. He goes, we don't really want an impeachment because that's just... It, it plays into the conspiracy theories of Trump's base, of voters. But if you can get him voted out if you can get states to say, we don't want you, that's more of a condemnation of a man 
than say uh, impeachment. I thought that was kind of an interesting way of putting it. I don't know where I go with this, but it is what it is. Nike and CentOS delivered some encouraging quarterly results. Nike went out of the way to say, look, we're doing this tariff thing. We're doing it in stride. We, we got it. Just do it. Uh, so Nike's having a good day. I own shares of Nike. I've owned shares of Nike for a long time. Um, I hope to own shares of Nike for a long time. Uh, maybe that changes. Maybe it doesn't. There's always other players that come in, companies like Skechers and Adidas, and sometimes there's there's real players, and sometimes there's kind of faux players that kind of come and go. Um, but Nike is a company to me that was around when I was a kid, and they're one of the very few companies that their brand is so big to me. When I say Nike, you know what I'm talking about, right? You could like almost play that game, like if anyone wants to play it with the call. I'll say Nike and you could say Apple. I'll say Microsoft. And when we get to a brand that like doesn't instantly resonate, you lose. So those kind of investments sometimes aren't the worst things in the world. When you're investing, the brand has some value. But seeing that I can't just say that and walk away. Um Sometimes brands can lose their luster. Just ask Warren Buffett buying Kraft Heinz. I grew up thinking Heinz 57, the anticipation ketchup was the only ketchup to have. And then if you had Safeway ketchup or Whole Foods ketchup, it was less quality, right? I wanted the brand. I was sold on that. I can't believe I actually have... How does one say this? How... Easily, I was marketed to as a kid. I think is the right way of saying it, and just be over it. So, Nike, really good quarter. Um, again, consult a broker advisor for taking action on any stocks ever mentioned. Uh, good brand, I guess, is what I was trying to get out with that. So, that's a ninety-two dollar stock. Last week, it was an eighty-two dollar stock, and it's one of the ones that an analyst said buy. And I. I told you about that analyst commentary and it is what it is i suppose so all-time high today worthy of note um the stock market that's hitting all-time high sometimes we look around and we go why isn't that company at all-time high take for instance at&t and then you start seeing activist shareholders kind of coming in and saying well we could work on this 800-516-1220 to calls on the air. Best Buy is reiterating its 2020 revenue guidance for $43.5 billion, essentially. Reiterating guidance is kind of a... a it's not the end-all, be-all, but it's kind of nice. Analysts don't get nervous. They're like, okay, okay. So we got our revenue numbers kind of still good. Now let's see our margins. We expect how many TVs sold. We expect how many contracts and service deals sold. Fatter margins. Uh, so it gives the analyst uh, info to work with. Weekly mortgage applications decline 10% on the back of higher mortgage rates. Look, I think the housing market has somewhat played out. Let's just talk for a second. I'm not saying it's played out. But as I'm not forming any more houses right now, it's going to be until my kids get older, 10 more years, 15, 20, until they start forming their own households. 
so sometimes it, it slows down. And I've refinanced every mortgage that I have to levels that I don't think I can ever get a better rate. So I'm not going to be in the mortgage shopping market anytime soon. But that could change. Maybe I win the lottery or something, you know. New home sales activity in August are out. New homes obviously plays directly into not old homes, <laughs> as the obvious would sound. But companies like KB Homes, ticker symbol KBH, Lenar, ticker symbol LEN, they kind of have a play with all of this. You can find out more at robblackshow.com. It's robblackshow.com. I got a lot of good downloadables <clears throat> at newfocusfinancial.com. That's newfocusfinancial.com. Um, don't be shy with your questions. I have a Facebook page called I Hate Rob Black or Cron for Rob Black. 800-516-1228 calls on the air. I'm Rob Black. Want the podcast with music? Find the link to the other version of the podcast by going to Rob Black's Twitter. His handle is at Rob Black Show. Listen to Rob Black and Your Money weekday mornings, 7 to 9 on AM 1220 KDOW. Sometimes on Fridays, I record best of shows that I'll replay during the holiday seasons. Sadly, when that happens, I sometimes miss out on a good story that I want to circle back to. In this case, Peloton falling 15% from its IPO price. The company is a self-dubbed social connection company. No, it's not an exercise equipment, a fancy exercise piece of equipment. It's a social connection company. Its growth rate is accelerating, but it's losing bundles of money. There's a lot of things to be worried about with the company. I'm going to go over them with you just in case you're thinking about buying the shares. I don't care if you do or don't. I'm going to pedal away from the Peloton stock until it shakes out. Then I'll come back and revisit it. Get the whole reference pedal away. I know, I know, I know. Kind of cool. So it's a hot fad. There's no doubt about it. But for investments, you need both growth and profitability, or at least a credible way to get there. Otherwise, people are going to say, uh-uh. Um, I have no financial interest in Peloton at this point in time. I want to be honest and disclose that. So it's kind of almost a cheap shot that I can take at them. But I did a lot of research on the company, thinking maybe I do, maybe I don't want to own the stock. Um, they make up. They make souped-up cycles and treadmills with touchscreens that can live-stream fitness classes for a monthly fee. They're not cheap. Um, I had a gym that I was going to that I, I canceled because I wasn't going enough. Um, but it was basically a glorified, how do we say this, uh, country club? It was a tennis club? Uh, I'll get back to it at some point in time, but if, if other members of the family aren't going, it, it was pricey. So do I go and put my money into a Peloton? No way. So far, they have um, 1.4 million members, and they've sold 577,000 machines. They feature usual um, silliness when it came to their IPO. Anytime I read the prospectus and it says crap like, Peloton is selling happiness. It reminds me of WeWork using the phrase, we want to elevate the world consciousness. What is that all about? Peloton has an arrogant attitude about other people's IP. This is a problem that I have with the company. The company, Peloton, had to pay out $50 million in royalties for its music, and it's up against at least $300 million in lawsuits for copyright infringement. 
And you can start right there getting my sense of, I don't know, this company has some baggage lawsuits. Do I want to get in while there's that going on? Their financials aren't horrible. I've seen worse. Revenue growth of 99% last year ending June 2018. It rose another 110%. Peloton burned through $109 million in cash. And no matter how fast you're growing, if you're losing $109 million, in the following year, $196 million, yeah, it's impressive growth, but at what cost? The company says they won't be profitable until 2023, at which point in time I predict most of the bikes will be in the garage ready to be sold at a garage sale when you die. They don't really have a disciplined approach yet. Peloton's business is getting less efficient as it grows, indicating that it lacks scalability to it. Rather than making it more efficient, like Apple with more phones they sell, we go, we don't even care about the new product. It's how many more millions units. We care about you know unit costs. Because the margins are, are baked in, tied, and so it goes down to your bottom line pretty fast. What's the difference in them ordering 10 million chips versus 10 million and two? Peloton decided to delay worrying about making its business more efficient with scale before they came public, and I don't get it. I'd rather just see like one quarter of like things are starting to tighten, but they're not. Um, gross margin is still falling. If you take a look at 2018, it was 44%. Now it's 2019, 42%. Meanwhile, its fixed costs are rising from 54% last year to 64% this year. These are all reasons not to like it. Now, do I want to ride a sexy Peloton bike? Yeah. It's expensive. It's a luxury. It's a treadmill. It's, it's, it's all that in a bucket of chicken. I'd look cool. People would come into my house and say, dude, you are cool. You got a Peloton. I'd be like, I am cool. Bikes cost roughly $2,000. Treadmills, $4,000. You have to pay monthly subscriptions, which run between 20 and 40 bucks. Now, this is that all of that doesn't scare me away. It's starting to. But then when I start thinking even further, the CEO gets 20 votes to every IPO investors one. And I'm like, this isn't in the IPO. This isn't, this is starting to look bad. So I think they're tapping people with deep pockets. I could afford one, but can you? And I don't like that business model. There's really nothing for the low end yet. And if you take a look around, there's a lot of alternatives. Companies that are selling very similar products, but at way lower prices. The Echelon Smart Connect EX3 sells for 40% less. It offers interactive workouts with certified trainers via your own mobile device and the Echelon app, which serves up both live and on-demand classes for 40 bucks a month. So there's already competitors out there doing essentially the same thing, but instead of having a, a screen built into your expensive bike, you have your own screen, which I have an iPad and I have an iPhone. Why not use it? Peloton's big with millennials, and this is the, the nail in the coffin for me. Because what's happened to the millennials? They've come out of college with a lot of debt. Um, I know a millennial, and she was constantly going, looking for a husband, and going to like, I'm going to go to LA, and like, uh, go to a white party, and then I'm going to go to New York, and she was experiencing things. She loved the experience of traveling, then she got married and had kids. I wonder at what point in time 
Will the millennials say, well, now that I have kids, I can't really afford these experiences. I can't afford a niche fitness routine. I can't spend, you know, that kind of money when my baby needs food. My baby. So what's going to happen when the millennials walk away from these pricing machines? I think it could be a problem. Now, again, that's all of my, my thoughts at this point in time on Peloton. I don't have much more. I just shared with you all my notes on it that I've put together. And some of them are more thought out than others. It's up to you to decide if you want to go for it. It's not up to me. I told you the reasons I'm cautious. And I'd rather be cautious than smart. Or maybe cautious is smart. You know what I'm saying? I'm Rob Black talking all things financial, money investing, and more. Catch Rob Black and Rob Black and Your Money live on the Bay Area Airwaves. Weekday mornings from 7 to 9 on AM 1220 KDOW and streaming live on the KDOW radio app or KDOW.biz. So I asked on Thursday or Friday last week if anyone had any idea or any desire or want for me to do a weekend show without news in it, just investment themes. Um, things not just to invest in, but like the Roth 401k mega backdoor, uh, more on insurance, more on, uh, ways to save versus the stories per se and get into like sectors every week. And there's you know, 10, 15 sectors that have good stories tied to them. And I asked the listeners, you, if y'all wanted me to do that, <laughs> how much feedback one. Well, that's good to know. So, like I said, that's good to know. Airline stocks. Let's take a look at the content here and decide if this is something that we want to think about or not. When I first got into the industry, I started studying. I started studying sectors voraciously. I could outread anyone on the planet was always my thought. When I played soccer, I was good because I would out-practice you, and I would study, 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 study. When I got into college, I knew that I wasn't going to be the smartest English major. I knew that I was going to be the hardest working. When I got into critical research, I knew I wasn't going to be the all-time best critical researcher. I just knew that I can try it in different ways until I failed, right? So one of the first sectors that I ever looked at was airlines. And one of the very first stories you ever hear is TWA and Warren Buffett and it being one of the biggest mistakes he ever made. And then you can get like into Trump Airlines. Trump had an airline that failed and went bankrupt. TWA ultimately goes bankrupt. And there's a lot of problems with airlines. There's obviously the bankruptcies kind of give you a little bit of like, woe is me. There was a big travel company in Europe that had to shut down, basically stranding 12,000 plus people just earlier this year. History weighs heavily on the way you think as an investor. So bankruptcy, shutting down business, oil price shocks. Do you remember a few years back when oil went from $40 a barrel too low and it goes to 30 and it's like way too low, but the airlines did well. And then it goes from like 30 to 150 and it's like, ah! Wait, stop the clock. The airline industry has gone through tremendous change in the last 10 years. It's just like the choo-choo train. 
industry was poorly run in the 60s and 70s, and in the 80s, they really turned around their business, making most of the train companies pretty profitable. So we're not going to talk autos, but a little planes and trains this segment, right? So airlines have another problem. Not only are they susceptible to oil price shocks, but bankruptcies and labor. Did you remember in 2019 hearing the story about a mechanic who probably was sabotaging a plane? And you're like, holy mother of Odin. Um, so labor strife is always an issue, whether it's the waitresses in the sky. <laughs> Stewardess. Kidding. 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 Send the hashtag MeToo movement. Not to me. Um, but the, the mechanics and the pilots, they always sometimes have to circle around and say, you know, you're not paying us for our downtime. And yet we have, we're stuck in a city that we don't want to be in. There's issues, right? Um, sometimes they start and grow too fast. Capacity growth, you know, high on the reasons that airlines fail. Wasn't that long ago that Warren Buffett said the best way to become a millionaire was to start a billionaire and buy an airline. <laughs> I love it. How do you become a millionaire, Mr. Buffet? Well, you start as a billionaire and then you buy an airline because you're going to lose billions. Smart money, it seems, is void airlines for most of us. And to this day, I, I still, every now and then I look at like a Southwest or a JetBlue and I go, JetBlue could be acquired. And I look at a Southwest and go, people love this thing. So let's take a look further at the airlines. The four largest carriers, including the regional affiliates of them, have about 80% of the domestic market. So it's still competitive, even though it looks like there's just four players. Economic theory suggests having a handful of companies control most of the market leads to better profits. So I can tell you anytime I get on the plane, it always feels like, oh, I wish I could have got a lower price. That's another thing about airlines, right? The guy next to you could literally be paying 50% less and it drives people crazy. So we scrounge for prices. We scrounge for pricing information. Oil prices you don't much matter anymore. They used to matter a lot. So energy prices are certainly important, but it used to be we feared a spike. Four major airlines have spent roughly $140 billion on jet fuel over the last five years. That's about 20% of their sales. Everyone pays roughly the same amount for fuel now. So as long as prices are stable, airfares adjust. And no airline has a competitive advantage or disadvantage. There was a point in time where Southwest was really, really damn good at hedging fuel. They knew when it was too high and they knew when it was too low. They loaded up on the lows and they sold off of the highs. When oil prices went from $20 a barrel to $150 a barrel, the rapid rise was problematic. Higher ticket prices hurt demand, but a bigger deal was the differences in fuel hedging policies amongst the airlines. So... Hedging super important. It was. So it had a hefty benefit when done correctly. And when oil moves around, it's super important. But oil's been pretty stable now for a while. There was a problem with too many seats. Capacity. Don't you love getting on a plane and saying, oh, it's only about half full. Or two-thirds full. You're like, sweet. I'll have place for my overhead. Uh, 
Sweet. What's my tattoo say? Dude. What's my tattoo say? Sweet. So it's always a good feeling when you get on a plane and there's plenty of like seats, except for when there's like too few. And it's like a third full. You're like, oh, I don't like this. Oh, I don't like this at all. It's kind of funny the way that works, right? Uh, low fare carriers such as JetBlue are growing more slowly after pushing the market at the turn of the century. So when capacity grows too fast, profit margins start to fall. But we're not seeing a lot of airlines come on and saying, oh, we've got you know, 500 new seats going to Hawaii this month. And then you know, companies like Southwest and companies like Alaska Air and Hawaiian Air who service Hawaii say, well, that's 500 more. So they have to cut prices to stay competitive. But since the end of the financial crisis, the airline industry has lagged behind the increase in consumer spending most of the time. So when the Americans are spending, when we're happy and when we have jobs, we're like, let's go on vacation. Um, so we're not seeing too many seats come in. And we're not seeing oil being that big of a deal anymore. So the airlines have had an, an, an environment that's turbulent free, except for labor. Let's talk labor now. Labor equals wages. Labor equals benefits. They account for the four largest carriers. Spend about 27% of sales on labor. Every airline's in the same boat, limiting the effect on any one carrier. Labor negotiation is almost pattern bargaining now. There won't be a labor cost advantage. So when you look at the big airlines, Delta Airlines, American Airlines, Southwest, they all now pay dividends. They used to not, but their profit margins have improved and they've paid off debt to the point that it makes sense to share some of their profits with you, the shareholder. Debt issued by Delta and Southwest is rated as investment grade. So these aren't companies that are on this, the, the borderline of going bankrupt. So what's interesting is if you take a look at a car company like a GM, I did get cars into the planes, trains, and automobile segment. Their valuations, like you can get GM for four to five times earnings, and it's paying three and a half percent of a dividend. There, there's almost no growth there, right? They're just in business to make cars at basically not a lot of profit. But when you look at the airlines, you see that they're, they're cheap, but they're not as cheap as automobiles. So we kind of expect some sort of profitability. That's better than autos, but less than S&P 500, because the value that you get for buying an airline, the valuation that you're paying is about half what the overall S&P 500 is. So the airline industry is trading for about eight times estimate earnings. So that's a discount to the S&P 500. And I don't really see a lot of storm clouds on the horizon. Um, Warren Buffett, who once said he would never buy an airline again because of TWA and it going bankrupt on him, he lost a lot of money. He's the guy who once said, if you want to become a millionaire, be a billionaire and buy an airline. Well, guess what? He owns big stakes in Southwest, Delta, American, and United Airlines. There's a phrase in my head, if it's good enough for Buffett, it's good enough for Black. 
Not quite that, but there's something along there. I own no airline stocks at this point in time except for in indexes. With that said, find me online at newfocusfinancial.com or robblackshow.com. Don't forget, there's another hour of today's show to listen to. Find it now at kdow.biz or on the KDOW radio app. I'm Rob Black, talking all things financial money, investing, and more. There's a lot of bluster in the news these, these days. It's not like a lot of rabble, whether it's about IPOs or China or impeachment. It could be about uh, the bluster of HBO losing Game of Thrones. Was the last season worth an Emmy or not? Bluster, 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 bluster. Just a lot of things blowing in the wind. And one thing that I don't want to be negative on, but I do want to talk about this. And this is the type of content I would do on a weekend show if I were to do a weekend show. Keep in mind, I probably record it on Thursday because I don't really want to work on weekends. But... There's a trend right now that's a little disturbing that I want to talk about. And it's, it's not that disturbing, but it's the, the divorce issue. And few things will savage your personal finances more than a bad car, a, a bad business relationship. You could also sell your finances with good love turning bad. A lot of people make financial decisions over their lifetime. When my father died 20 plus years ago, my mother never remarried. So she basically took two, you know, two and lived as one. But sometimes you have to take two and live as two separate people, right? So a lot of people think I'm going to retire one day and then the kids go off to college. And that's the divorce rate for people over 50 began climbing in the early 90s. And it's above historical norms while the rates for other age groups has declined. It's almost as if people under 50 say we need each other and people over 50 say, well, the kids are gone and I've always hated you. So we're going to go our own way. Kathy could write a song called You Can Go Your Own Way. Yeah. Um, About 1% of married couples over 50, about 1% of married couples over the age of 50 get divorced each year. It's called the gray divorce. And it's grim because in your 20s and 30s, I mean, again, I could tell you about my, you know, my divorce. In my 30s, I married a, a beautiful woman who was a model and she was a great cook and she was, I, she was a lot of things that, that little boys dream of. The problem was that she wasn't really a good partner for me and we didn't even last a year. So dating was fun. Marriage was kind of miserable. But there's something called a gray divorce, and that wasn't a gray divorce. That happened in my 30s. She had time to go out, wreck a couple other guys' lives. <laughs> and I had time to find, settle down and find the right person. In your 30s, you have time to rebound. In your 60s, you don't. The husband and wife have to understand your exp- their expenses together. The only way to live within your means is to understand what you're spending Women are more disproportionately affected financially by divorce. The average woman sees her standard of living decline by 45% after a split. The average man sees his standard of living go down 21%. Are you ready for that? Or now do you want to stay together? Why do women get it, get it so bad? It's because divorce is messy. 
And in a lot of splits, the man takes the retirement account and the woman gets the house. The result is the man receives assets to help fund his retirement. And the woman is saddled with maintenance costs and property taxes. And again, a lot of people go, I want to keep the house my babies grew up in. When my babies, my babies, my babies come back from college, my babies have their own kids. Yeah, people are way too sentimental on homes in divorce. Often keeping a house or any large asset that isn't giving you income is not a good idea. Women who stay home to raise children. Women who stay home to raise children also often pay a social security penalty in retirement. If you don't work enough years to qualify for benefits on their own, they receive half the social security benefits of their husband. Wow. Another big area of impact is when couples split, many people receive employer-sponsored health care coverage through their spouse's employee, and that's often lost in divorce. The number one issue that keeps people up at night in divorce financial planning is, is health insurance. It's expensive. And if you've ever been on COBRA, yeah, you can get divorced and leave the employee-sponsored insurance program for up to three years, get a federal program called COBRA. It's not cheap. I know people who've done it. So you got to find good health coverage when you're divorced now in the grays. Again, trend that's moving up. Um, for the higher end divorce, budgeting can become a nightmare. Um, how much do you budget now get split in half or not, depending on kids and other issues? There's a lot of couples where the romance died a long time ago, but they stay together because they think they can't afford separate houses. They don't hate each other. They're just kind of roommates and have been so for such a long time. When a couple comes in to financial planning on divorce, you got to look at, you know, a lot of things. Um, you know, if the man, and I'm going to be cliche here for a second, if the man had all the income, he might also know all the expenses. So... Divorce is rising amongst people of 50 and plus, and it's one reason that more and more people are going to be in poverty at some point in retirement, um, because people don't understand their expenses, and sometimes they rush through the divorce process, and they don't take the time. There are certified financial divorce planners, certified financial divorce planners. It is a designation. Um, I don't know. Divorce is tough. Well, I'll say that. It's tough on your, your expenses. So 800-516-1220 to get your calls on the air. It's 800-516-1220 to get your calls on the air. Uh, just a little bow tie on the, I brought up that I was married and divorced in under a year. The one more thing that I could you know, paint a little picture on that is at least we were smart enough to do a mediator. Um, we kind of liked each other at one point in time. We kind of hid behind that. So why get negative? Why get mean? Why get cruel? Um, and I think we did a good job by using a mediator. Total cost of the divorce was under $5,000. I have a friend who has spent well over 120000 on his divorce, making it even worse for all parties involved. I'm Rob Black, talking all things financial. You can find me at newfocusfinancial.com. That's newfocusfinancial.com. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. 
explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.